go ahead and uh, speed it up just a little bit here. Let's keep it in the same key and sing, I will sing of your mercies. So I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, yes, I will sing. Oh, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Oh, and with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness, oh, thy faithfulness. And with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of my Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of my Lord. Oh, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. Oh, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Oh, and with my mouth shall I make faithfulness and with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness to all generations I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing of the mercies of the Lord oh now I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing I will sing, oh, now I, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Oh, and with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. And with my mouth shall I make generations I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing of the mercies of the Lord for the move is on my Lord the move is on the move is on my Lord the move is on oh I can hear the rustle of the mulberry tree and I know, I know, I know The move is on oh, So move on, brother And move on, sister Oh, this is the movie day Just move a little closer Where the streams are flowing So move on, brother Move on The move is on, my Lord on my Lord move is on and I can hear the rustle of the mulberry trees and I know I know I know the move is on so now move on brother just move on sister this is 
specials uh, this evening so if we'll go ahead and uh, put it in the key of F we'll just sing a song or two here before the minister comes and uh, let's sing the song I'm learning to lean I know that uh, this week I've definitely had to lean on him this week uh, with everything going on and uh, just the pressures of this world and uh, we definitely uh, are learning to lean on him so I'm learning to lean, I'm learning to lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus, and I'm finding more power. And all that he has 
is a childlike trust and a heart that is just learning to lean on Jesus. So I'm learning to this time and we'll go ahead and have the ushers come and take up the offering. Amen. Brother Andy, if you would just pray over the tithes and offering. Let's go ahead and as uh, the minister comes this evening, let's sing the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, E flat. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. So open the eyes of my heart. Oh, I want to see you. Oh, I want to see Now open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Just open the eyes of my heart. Oh, I want to see you. Oh, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. 
so pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Oh, holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. Lord, I want to Just open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, and I want to see you. Oh, now I want to see you. Oh, just open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Lord, just open the eyes of my heart, and I want to see you. And I want to see you. To see you highly.
How many of you can say that your prayer tonight, you want to have him open the eyes of your heart? Amen. The musicians can return to their seats. If you would, just uh, stay standing with me for just a moment. And uh, I'll read two verses of Scripture, and then you're certainly welcome to take your seats. Let's read from Galatians, the second chapter. And verses 20 and 21, with apologies to anybody who was on the father-son camp out, you probably know what vein of thought I'm going to be in, but maybe we can be a little bit more comprehensive tonight. Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, in Christ is dead in vain. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we're thankful to be gathered together today in your presence. And Father, Lord, having done what we can to prepare to be here, Lord, we just commit, Lord, this moment and all that follow it into your hands. And Father, in the frustration of trying to put our thoughts together coherently, Lord, I just remember, Lord, your prophet spoke of a time in his youth when he wrote a letter and he couldn't come up with the right words to say. So he just wrote out his ABCs, knowing, Lord, that you could sort it into the order it needed to be. And, Father, I just take the same approach to the message tonight, Lord, counting not on my ability, Lord Jesus, but your ability to sort the words and the ideas into the order that they need to be, Lord, for the benefit of your children gathered here tonight. So we just give you thanks and praise and all glory and honor, expecting you to meet us and speak with us in a mighty way tonight. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Excuse me. It's a bad sign when you're less than five minutes in and you're already going dry, but maybe it's maybe it's just nerves. So uh as you know I don't don't tend to do preliminaries, so I'm just going to jump right into the thought and try to cover as much ground as I can tonight. But before I do that, I want to greet you on behalf of Brother Barry, he would have liked to have been here tonight, but he's been out of town and was not able to get back in time. And he uh, he asked me to take the service, which came as a great surprise to me and probably somewhat to you as well. But uh, I greet you on his behalf because he certainly has me do that most everywhere I go. So I kind of feel like a visitor tonight just because it's it's been a while. But uh, so let's jump into our scripture here. I kind of, kind of want to go back over and just 
carefully reread these verses of Scripture in Galatians, and as is, I guess, maybe becoming my style, this is just kind of going to be informal along the lines of a, a Bible study, but I hope you'll find it edifying. Paul says in verse 20 of Galatians 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, Paul says in another scripture, he said, I die daily. And when I read this scripture, I tie, I tie a link between those two thoughts Paul gave. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. And he said, I die daily. For me, those, those two thoughts go together. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And this, this is the phrase that catches my attention from the very first time this scripture really, really gripped me as more than just a sort of ordinary plain text reading of scripture. The life which I now live in the flesh because he encapsulates just within that short phrase of sentence what the nature of both the Christian life and the battles a Christian faces is all encapsulated into that one little sentence. All your battles are sourced from or related to the life that you live in your flesh. That's where all your struggle comes from is the fact that you're born out of a fallen nature. So how great a paradox then that he would say the life I live in my flesh, which is a fallen creature, which is a broken creature, hopeless really, the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So the very life he lives in the thing that we struggle with most He's arrived at something that begins to express the life and the character and the attributes of God. In this case, specifically, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, for me, when I look at this, the important thing to me is to slow down and say, okay, what's, what's happening between the lines? What, what am I missing here? That's laying in this. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So what was the faith of the Son of God? I've looked at this scripture time and time again in my life and never never realized that there was anything specific about the faith that laid in the Son of God. And so this this is the this is to me, points to something at the heart of Christian faith. And that's the title I want to take tonight. I want to talk about Christian faith. Because there are, there are, many, there are many types of faith that aren't Christian faith. So I want to take just a, a little look at some things that help, help differentiate what, what Christian faith is versus other types of faith. So, to relating to the point 
uh, I was speaking of earlier, there's a quote we're all very, very familiar with. In 1950, in God and His People, Brother Branham said, Now, if I told you I was John Dillinger, or the spirit of John Dillinger was on me, you'd look for me to have guns act like John Dillinger. If I told you I was an artist, the spirit of a great artist was on me, you'd expect me to paint the pictures of an artist. Is that right? If I told you I was an expert mechanic and the mechanic spirit was on me, you'd expect me to know what was wrong with your car. If I tell you that I was born of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus Christ was on me, you'd expect me to do what he did, act like he did. That's his spirit working through a human being. That's incredibly simple. That's his spirit working through a human being. Do you believe that? His spirit worked on a brass serpent one time. Now, he's referring to Christ. So, immediately, from the perspective he's dealing with, he's not dealing at all with, with the timeline. In, in the terms of his natural life, where was, where was Christ when the brass serpent was erected in the wilderness? As far as time is concerned, he hadn't even come along yet. But he was, he was already there, dwelling there as a spirit. Do you believe that? And on the pool of Bethesda, a water chopped up, troubled water. Ever who stopped in there believing, they received their healing. Is that right? Could the water say, look what a great water I am? No. It was the angel on the water that done the healing, not the water, the angel. When the angel went away, it was just water. Now remember, we're dealing, we're dealing with the spirit, the spirit of Christ manifested in a man. Men are just men, but it's God's agency. And here's the here's the critical here's the critical part of this quote because this has a tie to what differentiates Christian faith from other types of faith. God doesn't fall upon denominations. Let me repeat that. God doesn't fall upon denominations. And I want to spend a little bit of time in a moment kind of kind of dwelling on our understanding or our definition of what, what a denomination is. But continuing the quote, God doesn't fall upon mechanical devices. God doesn't fall upon mechanical devices. God the Holy Spirit fell upon men. Now don't be don't be fooled by the phrase God doesn't fall on mechanical devices. He doesn't he doesn't mean you can't put put the uh apply the token to your iPod. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? God doesn't fall upon mechanical devices. God doesn't fall upon mechanical means of fulfilling his word. He's talking about, he's, in, a, in a sense, he's referring to trying to live the Christian life in the legalistic sense. God, the Holy Spirit, fell upon men. Man is God's agent, and the hardest thing that God has ever had to do was to get one mortal to believe another. Do you believe that? 
They couldn't believe Moses, and God gave him two signs to prove to the people that he was sent from God for their deliverance. You believe that? Well, isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you believe that angel that talked to him in the burning bush is the angel of the covenant? Was that right? All right. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's here now, and he does the same things today that he did then. And he still performs wonders and signs. He's a miraculous God. And he always works in a miraculous way with signs and wonders. And he promised them in these last days. And we're living in the last days. we got a right to expect them now. That's right, to bring his people together. Then when Jesus came... No, no mortal can say that he's a killer, that he's a healer. Now that's an interesting statement. Jesus Christ never said he was a healer, did he? He said, it's not me that doeth the works. It's my father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Is that right? Then God in Christ was the one that was reconciling the world to himself by signs and wonders. So, think again. It's not a, it's not a mechanical device. It's not, it's not a trick or a method or a process that Jesus is using out of some kind of carnal knowledge to bring about the reconciling of you to him. It's not a how-to that, that he had he had in his mind where he could he could say well if i do if i do such and such then the body of christ becomes reconciled to myself so there's not a mechanical means at work god in christ was the one who was reconciling the world to himself by signs and wonders he had the signs the credentials of a messiah of the messiah and that proved his messiahship and if i speak to you tonight upon this if I tell you that God has did a certain thing through a gift, I'm not, I will not speak of the gift. It'll speak for itself. And if I speak to you of Christ, you believe what I say if it's according to the Bible. And if Christ speaks back for me, then you believe Christ. And again, in that, so that was in... Uh, 1950, uh, very early in Brother Branham's ministry. And then he comes back in 1963. He's preaching the message, Go Wake Jesus. And this is one of the themes that throughout his ministry didn't didn't uh, change the least bit. And so I, I wanted to kind of include the full range of, of uh, beginning of his ministry, end of his ministry. In 1963, in Go Wake Jesus, Brother Branham said, If Beethoven lived in you, wouldn't you be a composer of songs, the great composer Beethoven? Say, Beethoven lives in me. Then you'll do the works of Beethoven. You'll write his music, certainly, if it lived in you. You would certainly do that because that the spirit of him lived in you. Then if Christ lives in me, if Christ lives in me, the works of Christ will be done through me. Certainly. If Beethoven lives in you, the works of Beethoven will make known. If Christ lived in you, the works of Christ will be made known, for he is the same. Same. He can't change. Remember what I said? It's eternal. He can't change. He's the same yesterday, 
today and forever. Oh, then, okay, so we said amen. We can agree that all that is true. Remember, this is the sermon, Go Wake Jesus. Oh, then, call him on the scene. Are you afraid to? This is a real compelling question for me. Are we afraid to call Jesus on the scene? You know, we believe, we believe Galatians 2.20. We believe I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, yet I live. And yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. But here's, here's a question now that, that Brother Branham's asking, and he's, he's right here toward the end of his ministry. This is 1963. Are you afraid to wake that Jesus in your life that's been asleep for a while? Are you afraid to wake that thing that a few years ago had come down upon you and filled you with his blessings? Are you afraid to wake him up and say, Lord Jesus, I'm in trouble tonight. Move on the scene for me. In sailing the seas, I've been stricken with a disease. I'm afflicted. Help me, O Lord God, help me. Are you afraid to call him on the scene? No. When you call him on the scene, like those disciples, all doubt takes its seat, sets down. Faith rises up. Doubts are no longer. Faith has took the place. It's written in the Bible that Hebrews 13.8 said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It has been written, now let it be done. Well, how is the now let it be done supposed to be manifested? It's supposed to be it's supposed to be very simply the expression of Christ through you. It is written in St. John fourteen twelve, as I've just quoted here He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Is that right? But it has been written, now let it be done. See, God promised it, God said so. As it has been written, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. See, a little while, and the world seeth me no more, yet ye shall see me, for I will be with you, even in you, to the end of the age. That's been written, ye shall see me. It's been written, now let it be done. So, again, there's... We're, we're speaking to a dynamic here. There, there are different types of faith. There's mental faith and there's spiritual faith. Okay? So mental faith will keep you locked in the domain of fear. Where earlier he's saying, are you afraid to wake that Jesus in your life that's been asleep for a while? He's speaking to... That's tied to the mental approach to faith because what Satan loves to do is he loves to paralyze you in fear. He loves to make you believe that when you, when you pray, when you petition God, he loves to make you believe that your, your worthiness to have an answer to your request is based on your works, is based on what you do. And here, you're trying to pray the prayer of faith, 
And Satan's going, yeah, but you remember, you remember how you spoke to your wife last Monday? Or anything, any, any such, he'll, he'll take something he's borrowed from your recent history to bring you into the mindset that you're not up to some standard that you have to meet before you can petition God for your request. So he keeps you paralyzed in the faith sense. He keeps you paralyzed by keeping you in the realm of mental faith. In the end of this second quote, Brother Branham, he completes this thought by saying, look, are these things... He's just said true. He's asking the congregation, and the congregation says amen. He said, if it isn't true, then what are we doing here? What are we claiming something that we become hypocrites? What are we claiming to the world the things that it isn't even so? While we're found false witnesses and we oughtn't even be permitted to live. That's pretty strong words. We oughtn't even be permitted to live if, if, what, if what we're professing here in this statement isn't so. Then if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ is not risen from the dead, then eat, drink, and be merry. You all go on out and live like the rest of the slop with the hogs, you see, if there's no resurrection, if there's no coming of Christ, and if he isn't here... And his words are not true. If one iota is wrong, then I can't have confidence in any of it. It's all got to be written. It's all got to be right. And I think that's, I think that's a very compelling statement made on the part of the prophet. So let's, let's go back to the scripture here real quick and borrow from another Scripture from Paul. Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter, verse 23. Pardon me. If ye continue in the faith, and I'm going to put in parentheses here, the faith that was in Christ, because that's what we're, that's the topic we're discussing tonight. If you continue in the faith, it's the faith, it's singular. So there's only one. Grounded and settled And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, 
even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me read that verse again, verse 27. To whom God would make known. This is a, this is a revelation. This is, this is foundational to uh, faith itself. The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. So this is, this is Paul is out outlining the purpose of his ministry. His, his whole reason for being, his whole reason for his calling is to bring you to this revelation. And a revelation is, is faith. It's the basis for faith. Teaching every... They, okay, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. So it's it's not about it's not about what Paul is gifted to do with his own ministry, but here again it's, it's very simply another expression of the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ according to His working, not according to Paul's working, which worketh in me mightily. And I think that, I think that, makes, I think that makes a worthy goal for the Christian life is not, not to pursue not to pursue a mechanical or a legalistic or a carnal revelation approach of satisfying, uh, you know, satisfying the requirements of the word and exhibiting the attributes of a, of a son of God. Uh, you know, all, all of that, all of that is, it's, it's going to end up, it's going to end up being the same thing that tries to generate Generate it, and that's a that's a fallen, fallen person. So, I, w- I want to go back to a, a a prior thought here, just briefly, and deal with the statement brother brother Brenham made, and he said, "God doesn't fall upon denominations." God doesn't fall upon mechanical devices. God, the Holy Spirit, fell upon men. And so, in, in, in taking this, the life of Christ being expressed through the Christian, so the mechanism for that, that happens entirely by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Every everything everything in my study, everything in the Word, I found pointed pointed exclusively to that one thought. The Holy Spirit is is what brings that about. 
but I kind of I kind of want to deal with real quickly the tie between uh, how how you define a denomination and what it what it has in common with a uh, a mental mental revelation. So in uh, Hebrews chapter four, preaching this in 1957, Brother Branham says. What's the matter with you Methodists? You used to have the light. What happened? God took it out of your hand and he gave it to the Nazarenes. What happened to you Nazarenes? You once had the light. God took it out of your hands and gave it to the Pentecostals. Correct. You church of God and the rest of you holiness people, because you rejected the light, you denominated yourself and said, we won't believe any more than this. It's not, you know, we think of denominations in a, in a corporate sense. We think, of the, we think of the organizational structure, right? Because denomination or organization, what's the difference? Denomination, for me, the difference is denomination is what takes you to organization. So denomination is where you, where you draw your little, your little finite circle or square, you can pick your geographical shape. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not a make or break deal. But when you encapsulate that that area of scripture or or doctrine or creed or dogma that says this this represents this represents what I what I'm what I'm going to believe, and then in doing so, you you do away with the move of the Holy Spirit to take you to further light. That's denominating. And that's how denominating is defined all through the message. You church of God and the rest of you holiness people, because you rejected the life, you denominated yourself and said, we won't believe any more than this. Okay? Now, it's it's prudent to watch this closely because... There's there's a pattern you can follow, and the pattern the pattern carries into the into the current day. God moved right on out and showed you He had people who would follow Him. What happened to you Pentecostals? You had the light. God has took it away from you. The pillar of fire moves on. Every time the pillar of fire moved, the church moved with it. And when Luther organized out of the Catholic Church, his own church, the pillar of fire moved and Wesley went with it. Wesley organized and made his denomination and the pillar of fire moved and the Nazarenes went with it. The Nazarenes or- organized and the Church of God went with it and said they wasn't a denomination, but they were. Now you can say you're not a denomination. You can say we don't, we don't have the corporate structure and the corporate headquarters and the tax exemption and the organization, but that's not the denomination, is it? That's the organization. The denomination is where you said this segment of the truth is what we're willing to believe and accept, and the the Holy Spirit, well, it, it can do its own thing. The Nazarenes organized, and the church of God went with it. And said they wasn't a denomination, but they were. Then what happened? 
the next thing that happened, the Pentecostals seen the fire, and away they went. And what did you do? Made a doctrine out of tongues and organized it. Everybody had to speak in tongues before they got the Holy Ghost. Then moved, then God moved right away, left you sitting where you're at. What happened to you oneness? You found baptism in Jesus' name. Now, he's not, he's not dealing at all with anything that's organizational. He's dealing entirely with how they approached the word that came to their day. So there's, there's a warning built into this. What happened to you oneness? You found baptism, Jesus' name. You made a doctrine out of it and separated yourself from the rest of it. And God moved right away and left you sitting there. Right. What happened to you, assembly of God, old general council? You made an organization out of yours and God moved right away and left you set. And now you're nothing but a cold, formal bunch like the rest of them are. And the pillar of fire moves on. Hallelujah. So this is this is faith being being experienced at the denominational level. Okay? And in in every in every quote I could find in, in my course of study where Brother Branham was talking about what happened when all these organizations denominated, he said they pulled away from the truth and then they died. He wasn't talking about the fact that they became corporate structures. That was just a byproduct. But what happened was they pulled away from the truth and then they died, not by becoming an organizational structure, but by just drawing their circle. But the same thing can happen to you if you're not careful. Because at the level of mental faith, you can, you can, you can recognize and admit and 100% resign yourself to every word of the message being the truth. And if you're not careful, what you'll end up doing is drawing your circle around your denomination and leaving the role of the Holy Spirit out of your life. And that is the world's most deceptive denomination, is the one that comes to you under, under the umbrella, under the guise of the fullness of truth, which is what the message represents to us in our day, is it not? So it's absolutely 100% the absolute fullness of truth. And yet there's a level that you can experience it at that Satan will completely cut you off from life at. So it's really important then for us to examine, examine our faith and say, at what, at what level is my faith operating? Am I operating out of a... You know, do I just accept that the message is truth because my parents accepted it as the truth and everybody else in the church accepted it as truth? And surely that many people can't be wrong and you just walk yourself into that denominational 
experience. And there's, there's nothing wrong with walking yourself into that denominational experience if you get the Holy Ghost and get moved beyond it. We're going we're gonna to see that here in just a few minutes. In 1962, the spoken word is the original seed. Brother Branham said, Adam's bride rejected to bring life. She brought death. We're her product, our bodies. To me, that makes it just that much more amazing what, what's Paul saying. The life I live in my flesh gets brought to the point where it begins, even in the, in the fallen thing, to, to manifest Christ. We're her product, our bodies. We all die. Look at us. You can see. Jehovah's bride died. He divorced her and took a people out of the Gentiles for his name. Is that right? His name. Like a woman takes the man's name, the bride. Now, what's she done? The same thing they did the other time. Now, this is... This is especially interesting. He's he's 100% referring to the bride of Christ. Now, what's she done? The same thing they did the other time, denominated herself polluted. And I'll just stop at this point to, uh, to interject this. The things that Brother Branham associated often with denominations, he'd speak of denominations, he'd speak of creeds and dogmas, right? Well, the same thing is prevalent where you see the message become experienced or operated at a denominational level. Brother Branham preached a message called Why We Are Not a Denomination. But he was trying to establish a pattern for us to look for to say, hey, where you see what happened when they denominated, when they drew this circle around what it is going to believe. And for some people, that circle's, that circle's called the message. And I just want to be real clear about what it is I'm trying to say here. For some people, that circle's called the message. Okay? And if you're experiencing, if you're experiencing the message, if you're exhibiting the life of Christ, which is what the message came to bring, if you're exhibiting the life of Christ under the direction and the, the, uh, the, the full leadership, the, the Holy Spirit having full preeminence, then what I'm saying does not apply. But if you're living the message from the mental faith standpoint, you've just created a denomination out of the message. And that's, that's the level where Satan would like to keep you at. In uh, 1958, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How could the Methodists ever accept anything more than the second work of grace? They denominated themselves under that. How could the Baptists ever believe any more than what they just shall, or the Lutheran rather, the just shall live by faith? That's what they denominated under. Okay, so there's a there's a faith, there's a revelation central to each premise that this denomination is based around. Okay. There's also there's also a revelation that the message at a denominational level 
operates off of. But it's a it's a mental it's a mental it's a mental faith it's a mental revelation. How can the Baptists go any farther than they go by? Why, when you believe, you receive the Holy Ghost and immersed in water, and that settles it. Why, that's what they've denominated under. See, why is it Pentecost believes that when you speak in tongues, you got the Holy Ghost, and that settles it? Because they're denominated under it. It's not because they went and became a 501c3 and have a corporate headquarters. Okay? Those things, those things follow after. Those are a byproduct of denominating. Brother, them things may be everyone all right, but God isn't bound to any little denomination. He just spreads over the whole thing. That's all. And we believe that. That's the reason we have never become a denomination. Okay, so if it it hasn't been clear enough up to this point, I hope you can take his word for it. That's the reason we have never become a denomination. The Lord has given us the opportunity to merge this little church in many different denominations. But we don't do it because we want to stay just like this so it can be under the rulership and the headship of Jesus Christ. That's right. Whatever he reveals to us, and we see that it's the truth. That's, that phrase does not say whatever the message says to us. It says whatever he reveals to us. And we see that it's the truth, and it lines up with his word all the way back and forth through the Bible. That is the truth, and the Spirit is agreeing on it. We have no denominational barriers to hold us from accepting that. We go right ahead into it and move right on. And so when the denomination says that like the Church of Christ, they're under denomination, so-called Church of Christ, that days of miracles is past and all these things like that, what are, okay, now let me just stop there. Days of miracles is past. What, are, what, are, what scriptural principle are they defying there? They're defying Christ in you, hope of glory. They're defying, they're entering into that. Are, are, we, are we scared to wake up that Christ in us? They're under, they're under the paralysis of, of a mental faith. Why? They couldn't do nothing else about it. They denominated under that, see? So there's nothing you can do about it. But we want to be free where we can just move as the Spirit moves on us. He's not saying we want to be free where we can just exercise legalism. No. It's all accomplished by the moving of the, of, of the Spirit in the individual. We want to be free where we can just move as the Spirit moves on us by deeper depth and higher heights. And just keep moving on and on and on and on and on and on, just wherever. But now we won't accept any fanaticism. We draw a line right there. If somebody gets a little something the Lord's revealed to him and it doesn't coincide with the Bible, plumb through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, becomes a doctrine, then we will not accept it. See, it's got to come from the Bible 
And it can't just become by somebody's revelation. If a revelation is right with the, with the word, all right. So what does, that, what does that look like from the message perspective? Well, every denomination comes with its creeds and dogmas, right? You ever heard something along the lines of just press play? That's somebody who's taken the message and they've drawn a boundary and said, this is what we'll accept. But, you know, these ministers, these ministers, they haven't been vindicated at the level that the prophet had. So we'll just let the prophet have the pulpits. And when it comes to the ramifications of what the word says about how the fivefold ministry was placed in the church, we'll just, we'll just defer that and we'll put just press play up first. That's a message denomination. That's a carnal interpretation at work. Then she goes into seed. Then God will never use it again. He's speaking of denominating. I ask any theologian, any historian to tell me one time that a denomination ever rose up. She never. She died when she denominated and that's where she laid. I think of Dwight Moody, the Moody Bible dead as midnight. I think of the Methodists, the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Nazarenes, the Pilgrim of Holiness, godly men raised up, Buddy Robinson and George Whitfield and all those great godly men that preached the gospel. And that generation received the seed that was sown for their part. Like the corn, whether it was the stalk, the leaf, the tassel, whether it was the grain, whatever it is, that minister brought the word of that, that day. It called from the four winds of the earth and took the elect of that generation. Through them elected ones has built the house of the living God. Now this ministry here has to hone into a place till the very same works that Jesus did. Because when he comes, the headstone will catch Right into it. Now, if in your mind you can remember, you can remember this the stature of the perfect man. At the very bottom, there's what? What's the foundation? It's faith, right? It's faith. What what comes what comes at the top to complete it? What's what's the headstone? Let me catch back up with where I was. The headstone will catch right into it. There will be a rapture come and they'll be taken and the rest of the body will come with it and she'll be gone into heaven. Not a denomination, friend. A church of the Word of God. You believe it? Amen. I believe it. Then back there in the Luther age, except Luther, that life come through, but it went and denominated out. The first thing you know, just become a denomination whose end is to be burned. See, the stalk dries up, just a carrier. Some of them still try to stay in that old carrier stalk, know nothing about God, dead. They say, well, look, we're a leaf. We was a Luther. That's right. Well, look where it's at now. See, speaking of the pillar of fire. 
we were a Methodist, and even we were a Pentecostal. But look at Pentecost, how cold and formal it's getting, how everybody's walking away. See, what is it? It was a carrier of the real seed. See, all those others was carrier but went denomination. If you say, I'm Pentecost, that don't mean no more to God than if you said you was a Roman Catholic or a Jew or whatever you might be. you got to be born that life that come through that carrier there. Don't stay in the stalk. Don't stay in the seed. Go right on out to the perfect part. And that perfect part is the very expression of the life of Christ. And as for the faith that was in Christ, so here's, here's the main question I've been dwelling on what was what was the faith that was in christ what was the what was the operative revelation we know faith is a revelation right so what was the operative revelation that was the basis for christ's faith i'll give you a hint he made it the foundation of his church Everything that Jesus ever accomplished, every work that was ever a manifestation of the faith that laid in him, because that's what works is, isn't it? It's a manifestation of the faith that lays underneath it. So everything that manifested in Christ's life, therefore, was an outgrowth of his faith. And he placed the same faith in you and I when he established his church. He gave it to us at the foundation. And so that headstone and the cornerstone, which is in the foundation, are one and the same, aren't they? So that foundational faith and that capstone faith are the one and the same. So the Christian, the Christian faith, the basis for the Christian faith, the basis of the faith that will, that will take us into a rapture process is the same one that was operative in Christ in himself. It is the revelation of who Christ is. What follows from the revelation of who Christ is is the realization of who you are. And so it's time for me to wind down. So I'm going to I'm going to prepare to close, but the operative the operative the basis of your faith, the basis of moving beyond mental faith. I, uh, I, I had a quote. Unfortunately, it didn't make it into my notes. But Brother Brownham made it very clear that the difference between denominational faith, even within, even within the realm of the message, and spiritual faith is the spiritual faith the one that recognizes the mind of God, that comes exclusively from the Holy Spirit. That comes exclusively from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which again is simply the life of Christ in you. But we've got to, we've got to examine ourselves and keep ourselves in check because as Paul said, I die daily. I'm crucified with Christ. I've got to make a daily trip to Calvary 
to leave my way of thinking and my way of interpreting the word there in order for the Holy Spirit to come in and the Holy Spirit flips the switch and takes us from exercising this at a level of mental faith and into the realm of spiritual faith, into the realm of exercising the life and the faith of Christ himself through us. And that that brings me a lot of peace because I fail real often and I struggle real often, um, more so than I'm, I'm comfortable making people aware. But when I see things like this, it reassures me. It's not, it's not about mechanical devices. It's not about how good I can conduct myself or how good I can live the Christian life or how well I can exercise uh, you know, Christian tenets. It's not. It's about whether or not I can make the daily journey to Calvary and let myself be crucified with Christ, let the Holy Spirit have preeminence, and let the faith of Christ come through me. Let the life of Christ come through me. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and the musicians come back. I hope I didn't hold you too long. I thought maybe because it it has been a while, I might be prone to taxing your attention span, and I hope I haven't. But um, all, all I can bring is just what the Lord lays on my heart. And I'm thankful He doesn't mind my insecurities because they really get in my way. <laughs> But uh, I appreciate your attentiveness and your enthusiasm. And let's just have a word of prayer before we dismiss here. Lord, we thank you, Lord, as we come to the conclusion of the service. Lord, I just I give thanks for the people that came out tonight, Lord. And I pray that you'll take what's been said and for each heart you'll minister to the questions that lay in each heart and life, Lord, and that you'll help us to examine ourselves, Lord. We are thankful, Lord Jesus, that we have such a clear standard in the Word to examine ourselves against. Lord, I just ask in examining myself. Lord, grant it to me, Lord Jesus, that I I can rise to that level, Lord Jesus, where it's no longer my life that's lived in my flesh, Lord, but that there's such a preeminence of the Holy Spirit in my life, Lord, that the beauty of Jesus can be seen in me, Lord, and not just me, but each and every one of these, my brothers and sisters, Lord, that have made the sacrifice to come out tonight, Lord. We pray that you would grant it to be so, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just have full preeminence to exhibit the life of Christ in us. As the remainder of the week approaches, Father, 
you're ever faithful to meet our meet our every need, Lord Jesus, and to guide us in our every struggle. And I pray, Lord, that in the remainder of the week to come, Lord, that your spirit will lead us and guide us, Lord, that you'll you'll comfort us and minister to each of us according to our needs, Father. And I pray that you'll bless the service that's coming up on the weekend. Father, prepare our hearts and minds to receive it. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You play in there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like Oh. Wow. 